it permanently looks like it contains flowers now. Look at that. Until I forget that I've done this and <laughs> I, I imbue too many other objects and then one day it will just be empty. But I submit that that is how regular flowers work anyway. Eventually they just die. <laughs> Live from the Mundangerous Abandoned Graveyard in New York City, I'm your host Shane. And I'm your host Yishin. And welcome to episode 303 of Total Party Thrill, a podcast for game masters and players where we discuss our campaigns in order to inspire yours. This is Actual Play, Season 2, Episode 3. In this episode, we're playing through an adventure inspired by A Deep and Creeping Darkness from the 5e collection Candlekeep Mysteries. Tez Proudgale is investigating mysterious killings in the tiny and very foggy town of Vermilion. It's also after a 5,000 crown reward. And also trying to see if this, uh, this disaster, uh, this spate of killings is caused by a dragon. Hey, look at you. You remembered that part, the assignment. Mm-hmm. I remember my assignment, and I, I also remember having confirmed that it isn't. So assignment done. I can go home if I could only afford the ticket. Have you actually confirmed that it is not? I think you're you're pretty suspicious that it's not. I feel pretty good about it. Mm-mm. I mean, you could go home, it's true, but there are 5,000 crowns just sitting here. Look, there's one thing that Tez knows. It's sometimes if you do a job poorly enough the first time, you never get asked to do it again. <laughs> You did get called in because you're the quote-unquote dragon expert, and you could completely disabuse him of that notion, yeah. Exactly. Oh, it's definitely a dragon. Yep, it's a, a wood dragon. You haven't heard of wood dragons? You don't know about wood dragons? They're Dummy. like <laughs> newest element to drop. <laughs> They're from the uh, anniversary collection. <laughs> Five years. I guess gnomes just don't know these things. Ridiculous. All right, so yes, we are playing an adventure inspired by one from Candlekeep Mysteries. Uh, we're going very, very loose with this, and you know we'll talk about why in our debrief episode. All right, so where are we? Well, Tez is in the apparently abandoned blacksmith shop. Uh, he has just discovered accounts of many of the killings, and then he and Meepo were attacked by a small fey creature that they were unable to identify that had a paralyzing touch and screamed psychically in their minds when it died and then melted away like smoke. Thanks, I hate it. Oh. <laughs> awesome. So if I recall, uh, Meepo had previously made an excellent investigation check. Yes? Yes. Okay. Um, we're going to continue with that because you were in the process of searching the entire place top to bottom to see what else you could find. Correct. And in the corner of the den where you were attacked, uh, Meepo is searching near the floorboards. And in between two floorboards, he discovers a small platinum ring that he pulls out. And when you look closely at it, it has a a sort of wave motif like of water. Uh, And he seems delighted to have found this thing. It's essentially capering on uh, his his clawed feet and uh, before you can stop him puts on the ring and admires it. Uh, Meepo. What you got there? Oh, Meepo has found a ring. A very pretty ring. It suits Meepo. Would you say that it's supernaturally pretty? And he bites it. Meepo. And says, Mm, 
And he sniffs it. Meepo is quite sure it is magic. Mm-hmm. Yep. Quite fitting for a kobold as handsome as Meepo. Tez holds out his hand for the ring. He grabs his hand with his other hand and clutches it to his chest. Meepo, now, listen, I don't quite understand your finances, but we both know that I'm the one who kitted you for this trip, so I manage the team's finances. I don't understand how you always have nicer clothes than me. I don't want to know, but I do know that I handle our joint custody. Meepo has many nice people buy clothes for him. Well, I'm not buying you a ring right now, buddy. His ears sort of drop a little bit, but he does work the ring off his claw and reluctantly hand it over. Thank you. And you can see it's fine It's fine workmanship, platinum filigree, like most everything in here. Uh, you're pretty sure you know. If you examined it for an hour or so, you could figure out what it does. Mm-hmm. I will uh, I will work on that in an hour or so. Yeah. Um, you make your way through the the rest of the house and you find nothing else of note, but you you do get a sense of like who this couple was before they seem to have packed up as quickly as possible and basically run out the front door. Um, a, a merchant, they made a good living. As you can see from you know all of the platinum in the, the workmanship, the rooms are well appointed. The art on, on the walls is high quality. In fact, in one of the rooms on the top floor, you can see a large mural, maybe 10 feet across, um, very detailed painting. And you can see it is a painting of this town, uh, except that it looks much more active, much more, maybe not wealthy, but busy than it does now. Okay. As far as you can tell, only a few hundred people live here. You do know, though, that during the war, it was busier. And you can actually see there is an artist's inscription that places this about 10 years ago. And, you know, you you see the the inn and the you can even spot the building that you're in right now, which actually looks a little smaller, so there's been an addition since then. Um, and the areas where there are now regulars training is a a relatively fine uh, plaza with uh, stonework. And there are even, you know, near the edge of town, smokestacks and an additional well that you can see um, and more than one road leading into town. Right now, there seems to be just one dirt road. So the place has certainly fallen on harder times since then. It's tough. The, uh, The downfall of Main Street. Indeed. It's happening everywhere these days. All across the rain. But then you hear a yelp. A sudden, sharp cry from Meepo, who again clamps his claws over his snout and looks up at you, shakes his head, and then sort of sheepishly says, Meepo, Meepo thought he saw Calstrix. And he points over at the mirror in the room. And you look over and you don't see anything except your own reflections. Meepo, I think this fog is playing tricks with us. Uh, he nods vigorously. I've seen shapes as well 
just always out of the corner of my eye, right? Never quite sure. Just the sense that something's watching. Meepo nods again, and then looks up at you. Yes, something, yes, something is watching. Something is watching, but Meepo cannot see it. I bet it's another one of those Fey. Keep that head knocker handy, buddy. And his hand also drifts down to the dagger of warning, which he seems to be relying on these days. Well, aren't we all? <laughs> so you continue on your journey, unless there's anything else you want to do here. Um, There are the reports of previous killings. Do you want to... Well, you could copy them down. You could also just take them. It's up to you. I think I'll, I think I'll just take those, yeah. Okay. Just bundle them in a sheaf and um, put them in my, uh, in my bag. All right. Do you leave out the front door or the back entrance the way you came? I'm going to go back out the back door and uh, slink back around to the street where I was. Go ahead and give me stealth. Would you say that this stealth is dependent on sound? <laughs> <laughs> it's extremely foggy, so I would say yes. Okay. Well, then I will have advantage on this check <laughs> because I have boots of elven kind. Uh, it doesn't look great, but it's fine. Uh, 11 plus 7 is 18. 18 is not great. I like how when you have expertise, an 18 is not great. An 18 is actually objectively great until you have expertise. Right, well, you know. And then it's never good enough. Dear listeners, 18 is excellent at this level. So you continue in the direction that you'd been heading before you were distracted by the blacksmith's shop. Uh, toward what you believe is going to be the mayor's house. And maybe only five minutes later, suddenly out of the fog looms a two-story brick building. In fact, it's the nicest building that you've seen anywhere in town. And a placard marks it as the residence of Mayor Lei Duvazin. Uh, okay. It also lists business hours, which are now. Then I will uh, knock on the door. There is no answer. I will open the door. The door is open. I, I'll i like kind of poke my head in in that sheepish way that you do where you're not sure if it's appropriate to just walk in, but also like you hope somebody notices you so that you can promptly apologize and then be more formal. So you open the door, step inside, and you can see what looks like an area that would be used as a, a waiting room, sort of a, a foyer, but it's inside a... a quite a nice house where people obviously live. Except that it looks like it's been ransacked. Mm. It looks like there was a fight in here, right? It's not, like you've seen places that have been tossed, right? Where someone was looking for something. It doesn't look like that here. It looks like paintings, like the glass on paintings are smashed. There's bookcases thrown on the ground. There are, you know, bar stools uh, are, are smashed into pieces. Uh, so the bartender Lucas sent me here, right? He did. He suggested I speak to the mayor? Yeah. He said she would know some things, probably. Right, and that was like in present tense? (laughs) Yes. Okay. Which at this Uh, point was probably less than two hours ago. So does the door show any sign of being forced or damaged or anything like that? So the door that you came in does not. Uh, If you're going to start looking around... Are you being sneaky or quiet? Are you what? What? What are you doing? It, like in this moment, Tez looks at Meepo, and then looks around, and kind of 
half unsheaths his rapier and shouts for the mayor by name. You do know her name since it's on the plaque. Uh, so the name echoes throughout the building. And then there's a dull, heavy silence and absolutely no sound or response. But go ahead. What's your passive perception? It's pretty crap, right? <laughs> uh, It is 10. You might say that it's human average. Cool. What meepos? Is it actually even worse? You might say that it's really bad. Cobalt average. Cobalt average. <laughs> it's like a nine. It's an eight. <laughs> cool. Cool. Great. Okay. Yeah. And you don't hear anything. <laughs> Great. Um, well, go ahead and give me a perception check because you're straining to hear to see if there's a response. Thank you. Aha. A 14. Aha. Uh -huh. You do not hear anything. Oh. It is eerily silent, but this entire town is eerily silent. Sorry. I'm actually trained in perception. <laughs> I just don't have any wisdom. Uh, that's actually a 16, and my passive is 12. Okay, yeah, you just still don't hear anything. Okay, well, you know, I tried. Uh, we will proceed carefully while investigating uh, and specifically looking for similar signs of the attack on us. Okay, so you're staying wary searching this place we are searching for the mayor uh okay. and f trying to figure out what happened with this fight more so than searching for valuables or information uh in the wreckage okay uh and are you doing that quietly or are you doing it quickly um uh, i feel like tez is too good of a person he's gonna do it quickly okay uh, so, with no regard to how much noise you're making, you run through each of the rooms, and a few things catch your eye. You can see it it does look lived in, and in fact, relatively recently lived in. Although some possessions are packed up into boxes, some of the um, paintings with smashed glass show a family. A dark-skinned woman in fine clothing and a brooch that you suspect is a badge of office. You would guess this is the mayor. Uh, in addition, another woman and two children. And because the paintings are broken, you can actually see there's writing on the back of one of them and it says the mayor, her wife, whose name I'm also looking for, her wife Tifra and their two children. Tavin and Nia who look to be under 10 years old. You continue to search through this place as quickly as you can. Are you like shouting for the mayor at this point still or no? Uh, I, I guess I'm shouting for all of them by name, I guess. Ah, you have, yes, you have, you have names now. Yeah. Okay, so you're shouting. Um, so you move quickly through the ground floor and you can see, you know, there's an office where obviously she uh, sees petitioners you then move up to the second floor which seems to be where most of the living areas are, children's bedrooms um, a primary bedroom uh, and then a library, a very well appointed library in none of these places, not under beds, not in closets not in 
other places where you could perhaps stuff a body. Do you find anyone? It appears to you that the house is abandoned. Now give me an investigation check. Uh, 14 plus 4 is 18. Other than things like fine china, you don't immediately spot things of obvious value. Uh, In fact, it seems like most of the things that you would expect to be in a, a place of some wealth are gone. But there is an obvious sight that greets you, a somewhat familiar one. Upstairs in the library, there are several open books with notes scribbled on bits of paper stuck between their pages. The books are about topics like the effects of physical and emotional trauma, nightmares. Uh, it, it seems out of place, but also there's a book about Thalanus and different kinds of fey creatures, and a note that reads, Could this be the answer? Almost certainly the answer. I dare ask, what is the entry? Ah, the entry marks a page with an entry on a creature called a mean lock. Mean lock. The image looks exactly like the creature that you fought. Uh. It says, Meanlocks are corrupted fey creatures that spontaneously manifest in response to fear. They also create more of their kind by transforming humanoids into meanlocks by essentially torturing them physically and psychically to death. Oh boy. Uh, how long ago did I think this fight was? Like, was there a... Uh any like tea that was sitting on a on a desk or anything like that I could get a sense of the temperature you would guess Uh, well here let me put it to you this way what I really care about here or what I think might have been the case is that Morlock er, or sorry Meanlocks came here uh, killed the mayor and then the mayor came and attacked me that's a possibility Uh, I mean so you know that it hasn't been long enough that for example, the rest of the town has figured this out yet, right? Because Lucas was like, go talk to the mayor. I mean, you know, unless Lucas is lying to you and is in on it, right? Right. Um, you don't think this scuffle happened more than a few hours ago. Okay. Um, in addition, she has some other notes cross-referenced with a different book. Uh, Meanlock's also cloud minds like their presence clouds minds people feel like they're being watched they might see apparitions of things that aren't actually happening and the mean lock doesn't actually need to be present for this to be happening they their influence corrupts an entire area it also says they shun bright light and if you spend some time and pour more deeply into the notes it seems that the mayor before her disappearance, did piece together a a ritual of banishment, but it needs to occur at their nest. And also it says that the source of the fear that spawned them in the first place must no longer be present. The source of the fear. Mm, Okay. Uh, Does this this tome happen to uh, name the... Uh, noble documenter who first 
uh, uncovered the mean locks and gave them their namesake? And was it the scholar James and Tricasso? <laughs> yes. <sighs> James and Tricasso, my bane. Always. Tez needs to find the nest and also needs to figure out what the source of the fear was. And now he's concerned that that may have been a dragon <laughs> if it wasn't <laughs> the war. <laughs> give me an, another investigation check and give me an intelligence check. Those are the same thing. Ah, for you, right. But you do have Meepo here. Uh, who has a terrible intelligence but can assist. Okay, fair enough. If what you're if what you're doing is basically like you're now investigating. You're right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean I yes, that's why I have Meepo here is to, to work together on this. So the uh the investigation was a twenty one and oh well the intelligence uh, so I rolled a sixteen and a seventeen. So that's a twenty one and a twenty. Twenty one on investigation, twenty on the intelligence? Correct. Check. Alright. We are very smart for a pair of idiots. I mean, look, the twenty is the more is more impressive than the twenty-one. Okay, so let's go with the intelligence check first. A couple things you know about timing: you know that the attacks have been happening for months, but the fog, Lucas said, only happened a few weeks ago. So, which points to two sources of the attacks, or one source of the attacks, and then that creating an environment of fear that spawned mean locks. Right, yeah, that's what I mean by two mm -hmm. sources of the attack, yeah. It does occur to you that you will need more evidence now of what this initial creature is, the one that's still committing the attacks. You know that there are mean locks about. You know how to get rid of the mean locks, but you can't do that until you've dealt with whatever the beast is. Right. Uh, okay, so I have that sheaf of notes on the attacks. I now know what mean locks are and what they do and their form and attacks and such um, and I faced them can I filter through the documentation of the various attacks to try to narrow down what might have been Meanlock versus mysterious other creature that initiated the fear you can and you don't think any of the attacks that you have records of were committed by Meanlocks ugh they have little claws, right? But they paralyze people. And, you know, you suffered that attack yourself. You were in no danger of decapitation. There was no fire. There was no, there was no wail. There was no screech. There was no roar. They don't seem to fit mm. the bill. They do seem to be the cause of all of this damn fog. But I believe the evidence also mentioned sudden fog. Also true. So that's another that's another trait of the initial attack, not of the mean lock. Indeed. Ah, <sighs> boy. Okay. Now, you do have a 21 investigation. In this library, you do uh, also realize that the mayor has many records, going back many, many years, because she is, of course, the mayor and keeps the town records. Births, deaths, things like that. So you're pouring over these things and you know it occurs to you maybe there are additional records right like the blacksmith can't have every record of every killing right so you're going through you're comparing that and trying to make connections and you're, you're cross-referencing you and me both spend a little while doing that um 
and you you come across more records of killings, but you don't find any new information. It's it's the same kind of thing, but certainly there are more. You you do find though that there are at least two killings that happened relatively recently just outside the town. Pretty easy to get to if you wanted to go look at the locations of killings. Uh, yeah, let's go to the killing fields. Cool, cool. There's another thing that you notice that sort of, you don't know if it's related, but it does sort of stick out to you. You've been told that this was a place that saw a lot of action during the war, you know, but it wasn't really an important location, but, you know, lots of people died here. And you can see that in the town records, right? There are births, and then people get conscripted, and then, you know, they they die in the war, or they, you know, die during skirmishes from, from either side. But there is one year, eight years ago, where 14 people died in the span of two days. A dozen civilians and two soldiers. And the cause of death is marked for each one of them as industrial accident. Hey, uh, does that timing line up with the beginning of... No, it doesn't. It does not. It was long before. What, pray tell, was the location of that? Uh, it just says Vermilion. So, presumably here in town. Is this, like, buried information? Or is this, like, something that I think might be known? It's not buried. Uh, it's listed sort of matter-of-factly. It just stands out to you because it seems strange. One, because so many people died. And two, because it wasn't exactly all at once. You would think an industrial accident would kill everyone all at once. Right. But these people died over two days. Poisoning or an illness. The soldiers died first on the first day. The civilians on the second day. The soldiers listed are a mage right and a scout. Maybe Lucas knows about this. He's quite an old man, so he certainly would have been here eight years ago. Plus zero is 12. <laughs> uh, you hear a creak, like someone stepped on a loud stair. And Me Meepo feels a warning from his dagger. Uh, from what direction is the sound? So you're on the top floor. Um, it is coming from the uh, largest staircase that leads up from the ground floor. Okay. But there are two ways to get where you are from there. Right? So, like, the, the rooms sort of, like, all connect. Yeah. So Tez will, like, put a finger to his lips. Uh, uh, now that, you know, Meepo and, and he are both alert. And point Meepo towards one of the entrances to this room, he will go to the other mm. um, and he'll make a sign to uh, be ready to attack anything that seems to be coming for them. So you're readying actions? Yes. What are the actions and what are the triggers? I guess Tez attacks with the booming blade. Um, Meepo will just attack with the dagger and the trigger is going to be I want to attack any like creature who comes through <laughs> but i don't want to attack people who come through does that make sense <laughs> right like like if i get ambushed by uh a thief i'll deal with it right i don't want to accident accidentally stab a citizen mm -hmm. but uh just about anything else comes through that door i would absolutely like to stab them 
Okay, so... A non-citizen walks through that door. Okay, right. A Someone who's not from Vermilion. Well, I mean citizen in the in the global sense. I see, I see. Okay, all right. Um, <laughs> I'm, I'm struggling for a way to say humanoid without saying humanoid. Right. <laughs> you kill the king of Breland. Yeah, if a good person walks through that door, I would like to not kill them, please. All right, so you're both... In, in the now eerie silence, both of you are crouched, ready to pounce. Can you read me the exact text of the Weapon of Warning? The magic weapon warms you of danger. While the weapon is in your pers- on your person, you have advantage on initiative rolls. In addition, you and any of your companions within 30 feet of you can't be surprised except when incapacitated by something other than non-magical sleep. The weapon automatic. The weapon magically awakens you and your companions within range if any of you are sleeping naturally when combat begins. Man, this was a good selection. Warns um, you of danger, Yishin. It does. It does. You and your companions. Yes. That being the key word, because suddenly the door right next to Meepo blows inward as it is kicked in by an abnormally large foot and a great sword swings through the door and stops just short. Meepo also pulls his dagger back from stabbing a very tall creature in the knees. And you're now looking at Skelebro, who just had a sense that he was about to be ambushed. <laughs> it doesn't oh, say man. it doesn't say you have to be aware of your companions. It does not say that at all. <laughs> it just knew that Skelebro is a companion magically, huh? <laughs> it was designated oh, a companion previously, and Meepo never stopped thinking of Skelebro as a companion. So congratulations, you two did not have the little stalking each other cat and mouse readying actions, killing each other fight that I thought might happen. <laughs> oh, man. I was worried about killing a mayor or, or, or her wife. <laughs> I would have been way more upset about losing Skelebro, my BFF. Uh, you're alive. Uh, yeah, we figured out what's what's doing some of the attacks. Ah, uh, indeed. My mission was also fruitful. Well, that's good. What did... Uh... I, I, I'm guessing they haven't paid the bounty if you're in such a cheery mood. No, indeed. Uh, but he looks around, like, peers around and says, Did you cause this mess? Ah, uh, no. This was here when we got here. Might I suggest we leave before someone else assumes that we did? Well, I was on my way to leave, and then we got warning of danger... And then you got warning of danger, apparently, and now we're here. I got warning of people around. I, I am dangerous, though. I agree. Uh, okay. Yes. Let's. Uh, let's. Let's bounce. Uh, we found a thing, and and I think now Tez is kind of like hurrying through and out the the building. Um not wanting to linger here any longer than necessary and catching up uh, Scalabro along the way about uh, mean locks, about the attacks, about uh, the accident, uh, specifically about the beheading and the, the sort of ritualization. Mm-hmm. 
basically getting him up to speed. He seems very intrigued by the whole ritual murder thing. Yes, I. it, it makes me think that perhaps they're connected. Uh, you know, traumatic incident, large loss of life over the course of multiple days, probably quite painful. I, I wonder if maybe somebody is their way of exacting revenge on the community that allowed it to happen. Scalabro ponders this for a bit. Well, from the small amount of investigation I was able to do, it does not seem like a normal creature. Give me four Scalabro. Hmm. Perception and investigation. Are these his efforts while he was uh, tracking? Exactly. And his perception... Wait, so what's his passive perception to start off? Uh, his, his passive perception is 11. But since he has keen senses, which gives him advantage, he has a plus 5. So his passive is 16. Yes, sorry. Actually, he is trained in perception and he has 13 wisdom. So uh, it's actually 13 plus 5. Yeah. So 18 is his passive. That's a great passive. But go ahead and roll for perception. Remember that it has advantage and then give me investigation. I rolled a pair of twos. So 18 it is. Uh, and then investigation. I rolled a 17 <laughs> plus uh, zero for 11 in, right? Yeah. Yeah. All right. So he tells you what happened when you parted ways. The shifters headed off immediately. And then he followed the shifters. But pretty quickly, the elves, he could hear the elves on horseback behind him. So he ducked into the trees, watched them pass, and then saw them overtake the shifters. The shifters moved very quickly up through the mountains, and he sort of speaks as if he doesn't really know their capabilities, but you would know. Shifters can change their form for a short amount of time uh, in order to take on more animalistic characteristics. And they basically, some of them sprouted long claws and climbed directly up the rock face and others became extremely fleet of foot uh, while, while others were able to leave great distances and so they were basically directly behind the elves. The elves though were on horseback uh, the horses didn't seem to be slowed down by the terrain in any way they almost he says glided up the mountainside Gotta get a magical horse. Gotta get some magical horses. Gotta get a magical elf horse. You do, actually. They're pretty great horses. Uh, but he got there not long after the pair of them, mainly because he was able to basically just power his way up the mountain. Uh, and he got there probably 20 minutes before Duhamel and the rest of the bounty hunters. So there was a little bit of time there. Um, the soldier, Adara, whose voice all of you heard in the Sending Stone, was the only survivor. Uh, and she was pretty badly wounded with burns and what looked like like three deep, like a gash three, from three deep like claw marks uh, across her. When he arrived, uh, one of the shifters was tending to her wounds, but she was unconscious. The elves just seemed to be looking around. They didn't seem to be peering too closely at anything. If anything, they were watching the shifters. The shifters, though, definitely seem to be actually investigating the situation. 
And when Adara came to, she relayed interesting information. First, she heard a wail. Then there was sudden fog. The screech, the screeching sound, happened right before she was stabbed. And the roar accompanied the fire. Scalabro then said he decided not to try to investigate on his own because he wanted to see what the others were doing. So he actually retreated to a safe distance and carefully watched to see the interactions between the hunting parties. Mm -hmm. And he said that the shifters seemed to be talking amongst themselves about being worried that this looked like not a dragon, but a shifter. They were worried about the claw marks, specifically. They were worried about the uh, injuries around the the head and neck. Oh, he he did notice, though, that the rest of the squad was all beheaded. The elves, though, like he said, were not investigating. But one thing that he did notice, he said, so he got an 18 on perception. One thing that he did notice that seemed very odd to him. Well, two things, really. Once you get outside the town... It's really not foggy. It's really just when you're inside the town. Once you're in the woods, it seems like a pretty normal environment again. Hmm. Okay. It is early autumn. You're pretty far north, so it's chilly, but not frigid. But he did notice that the elf woman, the one who's in charge of the warband from Valinar, sometimes when it seemed like she was paying attention to something else. When she would breathe, cold mists like fog would come out of her nose. Uh. The other thing that he did notice before all of the bounty hunters and soldiers arrived and ruined the entire area because they paid no attention to actually investigating what happened is that there were no tracks other than the victims. (sighs) No paw prints of a great beast, footprints that weren't three-inch regulars. What do you think, Skelebro? Any ideas? You have Intelligence 19 right now, right? I do. Yeah. So, I mean, you're walking back, and he's just sort of speculating. And, of course, he's seen many crazy things. Well, any flying creature would not leave tracks. Of course, but, I mean... What could do that to a squad of soldiers leave no tracks and also can screech, wail, and roar in sequence? He sort of gives a shrug and then looks at you knowingly and says, A dragon could. Sure. So could a chimera or, I don't know, a griffin with a cold. And he nods. This is all true. There isn't enough information now. So you're walking back toward the center of town, and suddenly you hear a great shout. But it isn't fear, which you would expect. It's actually, it seems like joy. 
and then more people join in of surprise and happiness and then it gets more raucous and then you can finally make it out um, as as you get closer 5,000 crowns 5,000 crowns is ours we've done it we've killed the beast who's uh whose voice is that uh you can't tell and as you walk closer uh you see a shape looming in front of you in the fog and then two great yellow eyes are peering at you but they're on their side and you can see it's the head of a red dragon and then it's the head of a lion and then the head of a goat and then you can see sprawled before you on a cart is the corpse of a chimera Hmm. and standing quite happily next to it is Templar Duhamel Who, uh, who claims the prize, Duhamel? He looks up, and it's hard for him to see you in, in the fog, but he finally recognizes you. He says, ah, ha, ha, of course. My regulars, They're, they will be well rewarded for this task, you see. I told you we would kill the beast before any of you mercenaries. Uh, Tez is very skeptical that this seems so convenient does seem a little convenient that there's one attack when all the mercenaries are here they don't get anything but suddenly chimera shows up uh what does tez know about chimera give me an arcana check so close to glory but only a 14 plus something or other uh plus 6 20 um they're cranky, magical beasts. Uh, they have three heads, and they have all the worst qualities of all those creatures. Uh, so they're greedy like red dragons. They can breathe fire. Um, they're proud like lions. They're stubborn like goats. Uh, they fly. They have wings. They have claws, like lion's claws. It does fit many of the bills. Yeah, but like to Tez's ear, there's two roaring heads. No wailing head, and never heard a goat screech. You've never heard a goat screech. You've also never heard of a chimera that beheads people. It might bite their heads off, but it doesn't cut them off. Yeah, this seems too convenient. Now, we're in the wilds. Is it strange that there's a chimera here? It's, it's not the strangest thing in the world. Duhamel? Don't pay yourself just yet. Give me... Give me a few minutes. Uh, He seems a little confused by this, but he turns back to his reveling. Seems to pay no mind. Uh, Angrily, Tez stomps off to Lucas in the tavern. You head on in. He's very busy serving a very raucous group of regulars. And you can see in the corner, the shifters are also celebrating. Uh, the elves are also in this tavern as well. Um, but they are, for the, for the first time, they're not on their horses. Um, but they are typically aloof, at least for this war band. Uh, they're off to the side. They're not celebrating, although they are eating. 
Lucas. Oh, Lucas. Oh, you're, oh, you're back. All right, what'd the mayor say? Uh, well, bad news. Mayor's gone missing. What? Uh, looks like there was a fight in her house. What? Uh, yeah, I think it's a little more urgent, though, than that. Uh, tell me about the accident. What are you talking about? I run a, I run a clean ship. No, not here. A few years back, there was an accident in town. Accident? Several soldiers, townsfolk died over the course of a couple days. He thinks and says, huh, digging up things from the past, eh? Lucas, this whole town is, is marred in the past, and it's being preyed upon because of it. I'm not digging up the past. I'm putting it to rest. Look, you want to talk about the dead? Fine. I'll tell you. You gotta do something for me first. Uh, Tez is already reaching in his pocket. Or in his coin purse. And he shakes his head and says, It's not what I want. I'm an old man. I already told you. This fog, these killings. It means I haven't been able to visit my wife's grave for months. There's no one to take care of it. I'm sure it's fallen into disrepair. I need you to go show her the respect that she deserves. Yeah, okay, I'll do it. What do you, what do you, you got flowers or something? He says, she liked wildflowers. I'm sure you'll find some. Okay. Clean yeah, it up. Yeah, I'll pick wildflowers. It's always damp in the area. Make sure you can, make sure it sparkles. Will do. How did she die? It's a long time ago. Like eight years ago? Well, much longer than that. Okay. All right, yeah, I'll take care of it. Um, I need the information, though. You can see his jaw stiffen, and he turns away and gets back to serving. Give me an inside check. Uh, eight plus zero is an eight. <laughs> um, you, you get the sense that he's mad at you, but you're not sure why. Uh, uh, I leave a coin on the bar, and I... The elves are seated at a table in the corner, you said? Mm-hmm. Tez walks across the room, his chest puffed up, grabbing an empty chair on his way, and pulls it up to the elves' table. Uh, and sits down on it with the chair backwards, so, you know, he's not staying. Sumera? Her eyebrow raises, because, as you know, she never told you her name. You don't seem to be celebrating. No. Everybody's acting a little funny right now. Yes, gold does that. Uh, you're acting funny and you don't have any gold. Mm, do I not? Did you kill the Chimera? No, and neither did they. And neither did the Chimera make these attacks. But I think you know that. Interesting. So, do you think it's a dragon then? I don't know what it is. Well, that's my job. Uh, that's my expertise. I don't know what's going on. But I do know seems very unlikely to me that it would be a chimera and I think it has to do with something that nobody wants to talk about but I also think you learned something about that attack that you haven't shared with anybody else and that's why you're sitting here while everybody else celebrates we all have different agendas the men over there celebrating they're lucky they're not dead they were saved by another of their order who seemed to arrive just in time and helped fell the beast, paralyzed it in midair. Their order. 
she sort of like waves a hand lazily in the general direction of the regulars and says the golden fire the ah the the silver flame so they were they were attacked by the chimera and managed to kill it many died i was quite sure they would all die and then reinforcements arrived including one who was able to freeze the chimera in midair with a single spell but that isn't what attacked is it I cannot say. Hmm. I did not see the attack. The Chimera did not, to my eyes, attack anyone except for the soldiers. Hmm. You and the Shifters made it there first. We made it there first. The Shifters arrived. Sure. In in due time. They're quick, but none are as fleet as the horses of the Tynardal. Yes, I, I know. Uh, uh, does she still have the breath thing going on? Uh, not right now, no. How long have you been here? We arrived just yesterday. You seem very suspicious. Oh, yes, I am. Uh, I, I am. I think you know more than you're letting on, but not enough to solve this. And I don't know what your angle is. I always know more than I'm letting on. And with that, she stands and motions with her head to the other elves who all stand silently and then follow her up the stairs to what you assume are their rooms. And she looks back at you and says, I would rest up if I were you. Tomorrow, the hunt will continue without these fools. And she jerks her head over at the rest of the room. And then they head upstairs. What time of day is it? It's like 10 p.m. Nighttime, nighttime. Uh, how far away is the uh, the grave? Mm, you could probably get there. Mm. Oh, do you have dark vision, right? Yeah, okay. You could get there in half an hour. Uh, all right, boys. Before we turn in for the night, we've got to take care of some chores. And Tez pulls an ever-bright lantern uh-huh. out, of his, out of his bag, <laughs> knowing that the Fae do not like bright light. That's very true. Uh, he will not be walking through the woods or wherever wilderness uh, solely by starlight, uh, even though he can see just fine. So, yeah. Uh, and, yeah, no, I think Tez is going to try to take care of this chore now with Skelebro and... Um, and Meepo. You're going to go take care of Lorna Grosvenor's grave. Correct. You head outside. Uh, there's still revelry inside and revelry outside. But once you get, you know, 30 feet or so away from the corpse of the Chimera, and you pull the Everbright lantern out from under your cloak, for just a moment, you feel like you hear a squeal of pain, but only in your mind. And then it's gone. And the lantern is shining brightly all around you. Seems to cut pretty clearly through the fog. Uh, yeah, I think and then Tez will hold it in one hand and uh, and and start heading out with Meepo and Skelebro. And, uh, and Tez will say, Meepo, tell us, uh, tell us a story for our walk. Something to entertain us. Something to lift the spirits. Oh. 
Tell us the story of 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 your home, of your friends. Oh, oh, mm, uh, Meepo's friends. Uh, mm, yes, Meepo had many friends. Well, maybe your family. Your family. Oh, fa- yes, Clutchmates. Yes, sorry. Meepo was well liked and popular and strong and brave is what Meepo's clutch mate said over and over again Meepo got so tired of hearing it that he needed to spend all Meepo's time alone away from other people and not playing games with them or training or learning with them because he was too popular Meepo and uh, and with that like Tez will kind of like put his arm around him and like pull him close you know like kind of like a, a, a fraternal hug and be like I just wanted a funny story of like a time somebody was climbing a wall and slipped and fell down and hurt themselves I didn't need that kind of story yes Meepo did that too and Clutchmates laughed and laughed and laughed because Meepo is very funny and did it on purpose. Did you ever laugh at any of your Clutchmates, Meepo? Only one time. And then never again. <laughs> well, Tez said, to, Tez said to tell a happy story. So Me- Meepo told a happy story of good times and fun with family. Nothing can cheer you up like Stockholm Syndrome, buddy. (laughs) So, by this time you've gotten to the edge of town, and you're beginning to climb upward as you head northward, uh, as you get into the foothills of the mountains. And you can see the town is sort of nestled in this small valley, but Scalabro is absolutely right. As soon as you begin to climb, the fog begins to fall away. And it's, it's like the fog is just sort of sitting in the valley. But you continue to climb higher and higher. And as, as you look back behind you, the town doesn't actually look that foggy when you're outside of it. You can see buildings relatively clearly, which seems like an odd thing. And you hold the Everbright lantern aloft and continue uh, on your way toward the graveyard, which you surmised was a relatively pleasant walk in better times. Because it wouldn't be too difficult to go visit your loved ones who'd passed on. One other thing that does stick in Tez's mind is that now that he knows where the graveyard is, it's actually pretty close to the locations of one of the killings. One of the recent ones. Well, let's go investigate the killing as well. All right. The killing location, actually, you'll hit that first. Do you want to stop there first or make a beeline for the graveyard? Like, you'll, you'll sort of go Oh, I'm going to be out here all night. <laughs> yeah. Fine, 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 fine. Investigate the killing first. So about 15 minutes outside the town, on the road heading north out of the village, uh, you turn off the path, and it becomes overgrown with disuse. And you come upon a 
cart, abandoned in the middle of the road, covered with a heavy tarp. Does this seem to be the site, or is this uh, along the way still? This is the site. In fact, if you look at the report, uh, it looks like a traveling merchant was waylaid and killed. Uh, well, I guess we've arrived. Uh, Meepo, Skelebro, be careful. But be cheerful, because that will keep us safe. Hmm. And you're continuing to hold the light aloft? Definitely holding the light aloft. Okay. Uh, Give me survival and or investigation checks. Okay. So I think it makes sense for Skelebro to handle survival. That is kind of what he does. Mm -hmm. So he's got a 22. Uh, Tezel handle investigation. And I guess, I mean, it makes sense he has the dagger. Uh, Meepo will keep watch. All right. So from survival. Well, do you, do you want me to just give you the investigation at the same time? Yeah, yeah. So I rolled a 12 plus uh, 4 is 16. So from survival, Skelebro circles and then starts combing through the underbrush with his fingers. Judging from the growth, and then he pulls back the tarp, and you can see the carcass of a dead horse. And judging from... The decay of this creature. This has been here about two months. And you look at the information that you have about this killing. Um, it doesn't have the merchant's name, and it basically says that, you know, they recovered a bit of gold, some bolts of fabric, um, and some salted dried meats that he was carrying, and those were requisitioned by... Um, the, the town because they were unable to locate any companions of this merchant. Does the two-month timeline sound right, though? Does that track with the report? Yeah, it's about a month after the first killings. Uh, so, yeah, it seems to fit in the right timeline. Um, you can see that, you know, parts of the horse and then also, like, scratches on the wagon wheels and things like that look like they've been, you know, chewed on and bitten by local wildlife. Uh, the report says that the... Uh, merchant himself was, well, at least the body, was covered in burns and decapitated. And you can see that also there are scorch marks on the wagon. Uh, Skelebro had what on survival? 21? Uh, 22. Okay. Give me an arcana check with advantage. Oh, that's going to turn out all right. I rolled a 14 and an 18. That's going to be a 24. Uh, first off, from your investigations, uh, you flip up the driver's seat, and it seems like no one has done this previously, and inside is a pouch containing 15 gold pieces. I love Dungeons and Dragons. Yeah. Uh, but Scalabro is looking intently at these scorch marks, and he motions you over to, to look at this, and he runs his finger, fingers across the burns, and sort of like rubs his fingers together. And he looks up at you and says, It's clean. It shouldn't be clean. What, what do you mean clean? Like there's no soot? So he, he stands back up and his eyes is almost sort of like glaze over like he's having a memory. And you realize that of the three of you, even though all of you are dragon ex- experts purportedly, he's the only one who probably has ever seen a dragon's fire breath. 
and also the aftermath. And he explains to you, it gets a little esoteric. He says that dragons are magical creatures, but they are mortal creatures. And their breath, including fire breath, comes from natural processes. It's the combustion of materials inside a dragon that it creates with its own body. So when a dragon breathes fire, mm -hmm. there's residue, ever so slightly, but there is residue, organic material, as opposed to, and then Scalabro pauses here, like, this is the important part. As opposed to something like magically conjured fire, like a fireball or burning hands, where fire appears out of nowhere and doesn't leave a residue. And he says, there is no residue. I cannot believe this was dragon's breath. All right, well, we've narrowed that down. You would also guess, though, that that probably means it's not some other kind of magical creature breathing fire. Because in the same way, they would leave a residue. Right. Somebody's cast the spell. Or something. Yes, something spell-like would certainly fit the bill here. A chimera certainly wouldn't. Well, at least we haven't fallen for the obvious decoy. And, hey, we've paid for our night's stay, so that's worth the trip, I guess. It's been two months, obviously, so it would be hard to tell in, in the terrain, but there are no obvious tracks of, like, a large creature of any kind. So we still think flight. Perhaps. Or teleportation. Also a possibility. Is there a, um, is there like a registry of manifest zones? No. Local legends will usually tell tales of a manifest zone. There are a few that are famous, like Syriana connected to Sharn, and that's why the towers exist. Yes. Sure. <laughs> right. But small local, small localized ones usually there there'll be local lore okay it's just odd this is getting increasingly magical and less natural we already know there's some fey involved i wonder if there isn't some connection to the lannis nearby mm. be giving rise to this i still feel though like it's connected to that accident well you're pretty sure there's nothing else to see here at the site. So you continue on to the graveyard. And you can see as you approach, this used to be quite pleasant and well-tended. It's only, you can see there's only a, several months of overgrowth. Certainly not several years. Right. Uh, the graveyard is actually relatively large, and you would guess that would be from war casualties over the years. Am I able to find her headstone? You are, but it takes you a little while. Uh, Lucas wasn't particularly forthcoming, and you have her name, but he didn't tell you where exactly her headstone was. But you do find one um, sort of near the back middle of the graveyard where uh, there's a headstone almost completely covered in moss and lichen. All you can see are the letters low, grow. And if you scrape it off, you can see that it actually says Lorna Browner. 
and on top of the grave is an empty vase uh, that most certainly had been previously used for flowers. And as you begin to clean it off, you're sort of scraping it off with your hands, you can see that she died 60 years ago. And judging from her birth date, you can see that if she were alive now, she would be almost 100 years old, which gives you an idea of how old Lucas is. You're not quite able to like fully clean it off, though. Like It feels like you need some sort of additional tool or brush or something. Uh, and, of course, you don't have any flowers currently. Ah, uh, yes. However, before you go looking for some, you do notice many of the other graves, all dating from times throughout the war, relatively recent ones, but there is a section of graves that all have the same death date eight years ago. Hmm. Give me perception or investigation. It's going to be investigation. And then we'll have Scalabro do survival as well, actually. All right. Scalabro is going to survive. Cool. Man, Scalabro is obscene. He rolled an 18, Tez rolled an 11, so that's a 21 survival, a 15 investigation. And I'm not looking for flowers, by the way. I have a thing for flowers. I will do a thing okay. from my sheet. You have a thing for flowers. Great. Um, so you see a dozen graves all marked with the same death date. And the names match the civilians who died eight years ago. You also find two more graves. More grave? The college. <laughs> The names match the Mage Rite and the Scout, Neradash and Reeve. And Scalabro notices that unlike all of the other graves, these two are a bit sunken in. Like the dirt has collapsed a bit. Okay, well, I'm going to honor my commitment and take care of the grave that I committed to. Mm -hmm. So I will uh, touch the vase that is sitting on it and it sprouts flowers from its uh from like the the top of it uh they are illusory flowers not real ones but regardless they looks like this face now has a beautiful bouquet as i have magically tinkered this face ah um it permanently looks like it contains flowers now until uh, until I forget that I've done this and <laughs> I, I imbue too many other objects and then one day it will just be empty. But I submit that that is how regular flowers work anyway. <laughs> Eventually they just die. So, uh, And for now, um, these aren't affected by the wind or spooky ghosts. Correct. Okay. All right. All right. And they make me happy. <laughs> flowers appear. What kind of flowers? I did a thing. Did a thing. What kind of flowers? Uh, what are? I don't actually know what what are funerary flowers. Uh, what do people? The rain. I mean, it's it's usually lilies. Oh, okay. Well, then, yeah, they're some type of lily. Then, I, I guess. Uh, as the flowers sprout, 
you think you hear a contented sigh on the wind. What was her name? Lorna. Uh, I don't know what I'm doing here. Lorna, I don't know if you can hear me, but Lucas sent me to tend your grave. He's not happy that he hasn't been able to come out here in a while, I guess. Uh, he was very adamant that I do this for you, so I, I imagine he would say some words praying for your eternal soul or spirit or whatever it is that you both believed. So, well, I, I hope you found peace in whatever happens next. Just then, a sudden, sharp breeze blows down from the mountain and snatches Meepo's hat off his head. We gotta get that hat. <laughs> it flies through the air, um, back in the dir- direction you came, and then lands off to the side on a on a the edge of an overlook, just uh, off to the side of the path back, a place that you probably wouldn't have actually stood. And Meepo starts to scamper over to grab his hat. I'll go with him. Uh, Tez will go with him. It's a nice thing for you to do. Mebo picks up his hat, dusts it off, um, re, uh, readjusts it, and then looks up at you uh, as if to ask if it, it's on properly. And you're looking down at Mebo, and you're also looking down the mountain, and you can see into the valley where the town is. And you can see it all laid out. It's not foggy. It actually looks kind of picturesque in the darkness. There are a few twinkling lights. And it reminds you of the scene you saw in the blacksmith's house with the town in the middle of war strewn out, sort of filled with the machinations of war. And you realize that the town looks very much the same, if a little smaller, except for the fact that there are absolutely no smokestacks. Because in the picture from 10 years ago, there were prominent smokestacks on the outskirts of town. Which, it occurs to you with your 19 intelligence, might be the very place you might have an industrial accident. Hmm. <sighs> Gonna have to add another list of things to do tonight, boys. Uh, but first, we've appeased one departed spirit. Might have to upset two more. Uh... We gotta take a look at those graves, boys. Scalabro's already over there, looking down at the dirt, and he sees you come over, and he's nodding. What are you gonna do? Oh, uh, Scalabro. It somehow feels less bad if you do it, given your you. Would you mind exhuming these graves? He seems a little taken aback, and he says, I. Of the three of us have the greatest respect for the dead. Well, then, uh, all the more reason that if you do it, you'll be respectful of them. Shall I use my hands? Uh, this is a graveyard? It is a graveyard. And it was like a kind of like actively used graveyard, right? Like, Mm -hmm. I mean, they were still burying people here. Certainly were. 
Uh, I would like to cast about for a uh, shovel. Graveyards always have an extra shovel. You're not wrong, and you do find one pretty quickly. Uh, and then now armed with an actual tool, Scalabro seems to tackle his task with relative gusto. Now, Tez is a rogue archaeologist, so this is not the first grave he's ever robbed. Let's be honest. It is one of the freshest graves he's ever robbed, <laughs> Ishan. It's not about how many. <laughs> it's about how soon. And pretty quickly, Scalabro, with his monstrous undead strength, uh, is able to uncover two plain wooden coffins uh, that both seem to have caved in a little bit from the weight of the dirt and the weight of the years. Uh, did the coffins appear intact, though? They do appear intact, but the okay. the lid is cracked in. Yeah. Uh, all right. Very kind of like gingerly, uh, Tez pulls a dagger and is trying to like, you know, coax it under the the lid. You know, kind of in that in the seam to try and like. He's really weird about touching this. And then I think eventually, like, when he can't get enough leverage using the dagger, he's just going to sigh and then... Here we go. Open the open the coffin. And he tries to pull the lid back with the wood splinters in his hand because it's rotted. And he pulls it back and reveals a completely empty coffin. And he goes to the other and does the same thing and is also completely empty. And he looks inside and has knows a grave. He doesn't think there have ever been bodies in these graves. Uh, what's the head? What are the headstones marked? Nira Dash, who you know was the mage right, and Reeve, the elven scout. Wait, Nira Dash. Nira Dash. N e i r a. Uh, mage rights. Ah, yes. They are. They are the. Uh... The low-level, common spellcasters of Eberron. Oh, okay. So, so a mage right is just a like a, a kind of a workaday mage, right? Basically. And a hedge wizard, NPC class. Got and it. And you, yeah, yeah. you would okay. know, like during the last war, they were extraordinarily common for you know minor healings or you know a mending spell to keep artillery working or something like that. You know, got they it. probably know got it, got it. Okay. a handful of spells. Right. Um, but not necessarily affiliated with a house or anything like right, that. Right, exactly. Like, got every, everyone's got mage rights. Okay. It's like the expert class. Uh, did the documentation that I have, uh, did they make any reference of Nira Dash's uh, species? Human. Okay, and Reeve was an elf. Mm-hmm. Mm. And they were both Thranish regulars. Well, what we have here is a fake burial, so I've yet to defile a grave. Thank you very much, Skelebro. Today, anyway. Well? Sort of motions to himself. Well, the day's almost over, so it's gonna be the whole day then, huh? Probably, if we leave this graveyard right now. Uh, where do these bodies go, though, huh? You, yeah, you don't think they were ever put here. <sighs> so do they fake their death? Or were they just not buried? Great question. And just then, far off in the distance, you hear a wail 
Hit a screech. And we'll find out what happens next. Next week. Oh, boy. <laughs> All right. Uh, before we get out of here, let's talk about how our listeners can get in contact with us. We do love hearing from you. You can tweet at Shane at Mundangerous. That's M-U-N Dangerous. And you can tweet at Ishan at Evil Sans Carne. That's Malice minus Meat. And you can tweet at the show at TPTCast. You can also email us at TotalPartyThrill at gmail.com. And you can find us on the web at www.TotalPartyThrill.com. We're also on Facebook and Instagram at TotalPartyThrill. And join the conversation on Discord. There's a link in the show notes. All right, so what do we have planned for next week's episode? We are finishing our playthrough of An Adventure Inspired by a Deep and Creeping Darkness. I feel like every time we record one, you back further and further off of having run this adventure. But I, you know, I'm going to let you get away with it with only the slightest commentary. We'll talk about it in the debrief episode. All right. Well, that's it for episode 303 of Total Party Thrill. I hope we've lived up to our name. But either way, I'm Shane. And I'm Ishan. Thanks for listening. 